Amen, amen. And that's the gospel, y'all. That's what we sing. We have something to declare that we have a crucified and risen Savior. We have King Jesus, the one who was and the one who is and the one who is to come. The one who knows you and loves you and calls you by name. The one who gladly gave his life for you at Calvary so that in him you might live forever. It was A.W. Tozer, 20th century pastor and author who said this, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Now, according to Tozer, how you view God is the most important thing about you. Because the way that you view him dictates not only the life that you live, but it also dictates your eternity. So question, what comes to your mind when you think about God? Well, when it comes to Jesus, he is often treated like a buffet. People pick and choose what they like and leave what they don't. But the Bible does not allow you or I to categorize Jesus in this way or to minimize Jesus in this way. Some seek to quarantine Jesus to being only a moral teacher or a good prophet or an important religious figure in the past. Well, when we get to Mark chapter one, we see Jesus is the one who has all authority. Let me show you. Grab your Bible and turn with me to Mark chapter one. We're going through a sermon series as a faith family called On the Move. We are walking through the gospel of Mark together. And so far we are on week number five and we're not even finished with chapter one yet. We are on pace to be finished when my six-year-old daughter graduates from high school, okay? But we're gonna get through this together. But there is so much to unpack. This is a fast-moving, hard-hitting book. 41 times the word immediately shows up in the Gospel of Mark. It's as if he's following Jesus around with a camcorder on his shoulder, it's showing us a fast-paced move of the work of Christ throughout his ministry. So far, we've seen John the Baptist. He is the, the forerunner of Jesus, the one who came before Jesus to set the trail. He is the one who is to go before him and say, prepare the way of the Lord. He's out in the Judean desert. He is baptizing people, calling them to repent and then to prepare because the Messiah is coming. One who is, uh, John says, I'm unworthy to untie his sandals. We then see Jesus arrive on the scene as the promised one. He is the son of God, chapter one, verse one, who shows up on the scene as the fulfillment of John's preaching that Jesus is pointing to himself. And so he is baptized by John in the Jordan River. When he comes up out of the water, the spirit of God descends on him like a dove. And there is a voice from heaven, from God the Father saying, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Immediately after his baptism, he's taken out into the desert where he is tempted by Satan for 40 days. After his temptation, Jesus then heads north up towards the Sea of Galilee to begin his ministry. He comes across these four men, Simon and James, Andrew and John. He comes across these men and calls them to be his disciples. He calls them to leave their nets, to leave their families, to leave their sources of income and to come follow him. 
Notice what happens next in the text in Mark chapter 1, verse 21. It says, they went into Capernaum, and right away he entered the synagogue on the Sabbath and began to teach. They were astonished at his teaching because he was teaching them as one who had authority and not like the scribes. Just then, a man with an unclean spirit was in their synagogue. He cried out, what do you have to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Jesus rebuked him, saying, be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit threw him into convulsions, shouted with a loud voice, and came out of him. They were all amazed, and so they began to ask each other, what is this? A new teaching with authority. He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. At once, the news about him spread throughout the entire vicinity of Galilee. As soon as they left the synagogue, they went into Simon and Andrew's house with James and John. Simon's mother-in-law was lying in bed with a fever, and they told him about her at once. So he went to her, took her by the hand, and raised her up. The fever left her, and she began to serve them. And when evening came, after the sun had set, they brought to him all those who were sick and demon-possessed. The whole town was assembled at the door and he healed many who were sick with various diseases and drove out many demons. And he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he got up, went out and made his way to a deserted place. And there he was praying. Simon and his companions searched for him and when they found him, they said, everyone is looking for you. And he said to them, let's go on to the neighboring villages so that I may preach there too. This is why I have come. He went into all of Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and driving out demons. Throughout Mark's gospel, we see the authority of Jesus through his words and through his works. Notice in the text, the three areas that Jesus shows his authority. First is Jesus has authority in his teaching. In his teaching. Verse 21, it says, They went into Capernaum. So after Jesus called Peter and James and John and Andrew from fishing on the Sea of Galilee, they followed him to Capernaum, which was a fishing village on the north shore of the lake. Capernaum was Jesus' headquarters for his ministry there in Galilee. And as soon as they get to town, they make a beeline to the synagogue. Why? It's the Sabbath day. The people gathered for worship, they prayed, they sang, and then Jesus stood up to teach. Well, as Jesus was teaching, as Jesus was rightly dividing the scriptures, the people were amazed. They were stunned. They were shook by how powerful his teaching was. They were astonished. That word astonished, it means to strike with panic or shock. Jesus' teaching carried such a powerful punch that the people were thunderstruck. Now, in comparison to the scribes, the Pharisees, the teachers of the law, Jesus brought the word, verse 22, with authority. Jesus taught with passion because he believed that he was the one who had the power to change people's eternity. And so he taught the scriptures with such power and with such authority that people were amazed. Now, Mark does not include for us the content of this sermon. We don't know what Jesus said, but Mark is directing our attention more to the one who had the authority in his teaching. Imagine being a first century Jew in Capernaum, 
dragging yourself week after week to the synagogue to hear a teacher of the law pontificate weak sermons. Dry, lifeless, boring. And on one particular Sabbath, you notice five men who've never been there before. One of them stands up and takes the scroll. He unravels the scroll to a specific text. The eyes of the gathering are fixated upon the teacher. You can hear a pin drop. He opens his mouth, and the room is spellbound. This is not what they're used to. This man is preaching with clarity. He's preaching with passion. This man's preaching with authority. He's compelling. He's simple. What he's saying makes sense. And he was preaching what was in the text. You see, these first century Jews were listening to the author read his own book. You see, the word of God was teaching the word of God. The one who wrote the book is expounding and explaining and applying the very scriptures that he wrote. You see, Jesus preached God's word. He did not preach about God's word, and there's a difference. One preaches from the source. The other is a cheap knockoff. You see, powerful preaching comes not from the preacher, but from the spirit of God using the word of God. When you are sharing the gospel with your coworker, when you're sharing the gospel with your teammates and those in your school, lean not on your own understanding. Let the word do the work. As you're shepherding your life group, let the word of God be brought to bear upon your people. Let the word be what God uses to change people. As you're prayerfully considering what church to belong to, find a church where the word of God takes center stage, not the preacher. The word of God is the power. We see the word of God is what God uses to change people. In Isaiah 55, the Lord says, my word that comes from my mouth will not return to me empty but it will accomplish what I please and will prosper in what I send it to do. God's word never comes back void. He will take his word and use it how he sees fit to have impact and power on the hearts and lives of people. Paul says in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, for all scripture is God-breathed. All scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, for training in righteousness so that the man of God may be complete for every good work. In fact, Paul goes on to say a few verses later in chapter four, verse two, he says, preach the word. The word of God is the power of God. And we see Jesus in Mark chapter one, bringing the word with authority. Beloved, one of the primary marks of a healthy church is expository preaching. It's when the pastor explains the meaning of the passage of scripture and then applies it into the lives of the people. The preacher is not an entertainer, but one who equips his people. He's not to be a comedian, but a herald of God's truth. He's not to preach politics, but to preach the word. You see, powerful preaching comes from bringing God's word to bear 
upon God's people. That's what we see Jesus doing here in Capernaum in Mark chapter one. So we see the authority of Jesus in his teaching. But I want you to see secondly, that Jesus has authority over demons. As Jesus is teaching, a man in the synagogue with an unclean spirit cries out, what do you have to do with us? Notice the us there. This demon is speaking on behalf of many unclean spirits. The power and the authority of Jesus' teaching is shining a light into the darkness. Jesus is exposing evil. Yet notice that these demons know exactly who Jesus is. Because, verse 24, he declares, this demon, Jesus' two natures, his humanity and his deity. Look at the text, verse 24. What do you have to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth, his humanity? I know who you are, the Holy One of God, his deity. You see, demons know exactly who Jesus is, and yet they refuse to submit to him. In James chapter two, verse 19, James says, you believe that God is one? Good. Even the demons believe and they shudder. The demons in Capernaum knew exactly who Jesus was and they trembled in his presence. What about you? Do you tremble in the presence of Jesus the Nazarene? Knowing the power and the authority that he possesses as God. In Acts chapter 19, Paul is preaching the gospel and reaching lots of people. And these seven sons of Sceva, these exorcists, start trying to cast out demons in Jesus' name whom they don't know. And they came forward and says, we command you in the name of Jesus whom Paul preaches. The demon speaks back to these exorcists and says, Jesus I know, Paul I know, but who are you? It says that the the man who was possessed by the demons beat these exorcists so badly they went running out of the house naked. (laughs) Question, do you know Jesus? Moreover, do the demons know who you are? Or would they look upon you and say, Jesus I know, Paul I know, but who are you? What we see in Mark chapter one is Jesus is displaying his power and his authority over Satan and his angels. The demons are terrified. Verse 24, they ask Jesus, have you come to destroy us? You see, Satan and his angels know that their days are numbered. There is coming a day, Revelation 20, in which they will be cast into the lake of fire forever. And then we see here in the text that Jesus rebuked the demon and gave two commands. Be silent, come out of him. Or as we say it here in the South, you hush and get out of there. What we see here in verse 34, Jesus is gonna be continually commanding the demons to be silent. He would not allow them the permission to speak of who he was. So we see in the text, the unclean spirit throws the man into convulsions. He shouts with a loud voice and he comes out of him. Westwood, behold the power of the word of Christ. When Jesus speaks, demons obey. Now, there are some who give Satan more credit than he actually has. 
There are those who think that when it comes to the rivalry between God and Satan, as if it's 50-50. But you can't be further from the truth. It's kind of like the 92 dream team versus first grade upward. It's not even close. What we see in the text is that Jesus has absolute sovereign authority over Satan. When Jesus speaks, demons obey. John the apostle, when he sees the future on the last day in Revelation 19, he sees Jesus coming on a white horse. And he says in Revelation 19, 15, a sharp sword came from his mouth so that he might strike the nations with it. You see, Jesus will destroy his enemies by speaking a word. 2 Thessalonians 2.8, this is so good. It says, and then the lawless one will be revealed. The Lord Jesus will destroy him with the breath of his mouth and will bring him to nothing at the appearance of his coming. You see, when Jesus speaks a word, evil comes to an end. And there's coming a day in which Jesus will have the last word and all evil will be destroyed. It will all be done with and our king will reign forever. Justice, mercy, and truth will reign forever. Peace is coming because our king will ensure of it. But notice what happens when the word of Christ begins to take root. Even the demons obey him. It leads to evangelism. Look at verse 28. At once, the news about him spread throughout the entire vicinity of Galilee. You see, when you hear a word from Jesus, it compels you to speak a word for Jesus. You see, when you see Jesus for who he is, you want to talk about him. The danger that many of us have when we start stalling in our personal evangelism is we've neglected time alone with Jesus. Because when you have a word from Jesus, he, he meets you in your prayer closet. You march forth into the world with a word. You have a word from God. And that's what we see happening here. Jesus' words are coming forth. We see power and authority and the word is spreading. Westwood, let us be a people who spread the gospel throughout Shelby County and the nations because we hear a word from Christ. You see, Jesus is on the move, y'all. Let's join him in his work. So we see here in the text that Jesus has authority in his teaching. He has authority over demons. I want you to see thirdly, he has authority over sickness. After worship was over, Jesus and the four disciples went to Peter and Andrew's house. It's a stone's throw away from the synagogue. It's not far. In fact, I took a picture that I wanted to show you what it looks like. I'm standing on the front steps of the synagogue and I took this picture. Off to the left, you can see the Sea of Galilee, which is more like a lake. And that building off to the right is a church that has been built over top of verse 29. That is the location. So it's, a, it's not far from the synagogue. A middle school quarterback could hit it, okay? This is a, a close proximity. So it was a short walk, verse 29. And when they get there, Peter's mother-in-law is sick with a fever. She's so sick, she can't get out of bed to host Jesus and provide the Shabbat. Now, the Shabbat is a traditional Jewish meal 
that is provided on the Sabbath on Friday nights. My mom tells me stories about my grandmother. My mom grew up in a small town in Kentucky. They would go to a small Baptist church uh, out in the middle of nowhere. And in the Sunday mornings before they would leave for church, she would put a pot roast in a pan and cover it with aluminum foil. And they would put it in the oven on real low heat. And so when they came home, they opened the door and the, the room, the house just, just had a waft of the smell of roast beef. And then for dinner there at that lunchtime, she would make the, 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 baked, uh, the baked biscuits with the butter and the homemade strawberry preserves, the vegetables, a little bit of peach cobbler with ice cream on top, sweet tea, a little bit of coffee. Are y'all getting hungry? Okay. Sometimes the pastor would come over with his family and get to eat with the family. That's what's happening in the text. Is we see a traditional meal is provided and she's so sick she can't get out of bed. But instead of the pastor coming over, it's Jesus. And she is so sick, she cannot even get out of bed. But here's what's interesting. We see Jesus going into someone's home. May I say to you, when you leave today, Jesus goes with you. He is not shackled to a church campus. He abides and he lives inside permanently of all believers. He lives not only in your heart, but he lives in your home. So allow him to be king and Lord over your home. But then notice what Jesus does, verse 31. He went to her, took her by the hand, and raised her up. The fever left her, and she began to serve them. This woman was healed by the Savior's touch. And yet, verse 31, this is a picture of something bigger. Verse 31 is a picture of what Jesus has done for us in the gospel. All of us, we were sick with sin, unable to heal ourselves. But then someone shared the gospel with us. They told us the good news of Jesus. And when we heard the gospel and we believed upon Jesus, we were healed. Our greatest disease of sin has been healed by the blood of Christ. By his wounds, you are healed. That is what the gospel does. Jesus meets with us and through his shed blood at the cross, he heals you of all of your sin. That's the gospel. That's the good news of what God's done for us in Jesus. He came and lived a perfect sinless life that you and I couldn't live. And he goes and dies on the cross in our place where he gladly and willingly and joyfully takes our place. He dies and is buried, but he doesn't stay dead. For on the third day, he comes back to life. He is risen from the grave. For 40 days, he appears to people. They sat down and ate meals with Jesus. They touched Jesus. They heard from Jesus. And then 10 days before Pentecost, he ascends back up into heaven where he sits down at the right hand of God the Father, where he is interceding for you right now. This is the gospel that we rally around. And so when you hear the gospel, when you hear the good news of Christ crucified, risen, and returning, it changes everything about you. 
This is a picture of what he's done. We were sick. We were unable to heal ourselves. But then Jesus says, I'm going to take you by the hand and I'm going to raise you up. See, there's coming a day unless Jesus returns. All of us are going to be laid flat in a tomb. And there, our bodies will wait. And then Jesus is going to come. And he's going to give life to our bodies. He will call us forth and he will raise us up. What you see in the text is a picture of an even bigger story of the gospel. And it's what Christ has accomplished for you through his death and through his resurrection. We see that Jesus has authority over sickness. You see this coming day when our bodies are laid into a tomb and he raises us up on that great day, our bodies will be healed. Death will be no more. Sin will be no more. Sickness will be no more. Cancer will be no more. Satan will be no more. We'll be raised with Christ and we will serve him forever. This is your future, y'all. Be encouraged. This is for us because of what Christ has accomplished for us. Well, verse 32, it's dusk. Imagine it. People are lined up at their doorways, crouched in sprint formation, waiting for the sun to disappear over the horizon. For when the sun go down, goes down, the Sabbath is over. The sun disappears, and it's an all-out blitz to see Jesus. The Sabbath is over, verse 32. All the sick and demon-possessed were brought to Jesus. The entire town shows up, verse 33. They're lined up around the block wanting to experience healing. The deaf begin to hear. The mute begin to shout. The paralyzed begin to dance. The sick begin to sing. And the lame begin to run. Oh, this is a sight to see, y'all. This is the healing of Jesus. And yet it's also a foretaste. It is a preview of the coming new kingdom. KB says it well from the 116 click. He says, tell the paraplegic he gonna dance. Tell breast cancer that she won't end. Tell racism that he gonna end because what he doesn't heal now, homie, he going to then. There's coming a day in which we're gonna be healed. And it's all because of Jesus and his shed blood. Yeah, notice in the text where Jesus gets his power. Look at verse 35. Very early in the morning, it was still dark. He got up, went out and made his way to a deserted place. And there he was praying. So as ministry is increasing, as life is getting busy, Jesus got alone with his father in prayer. Now the tendency for you and the tendency for me is that when life gets busy, we neglect our time alone with our father. This must not be, y'all. For many of you, you need to go home and shut the closet door and get on your face and you spend time with your father. You spend time alone with him because that is where you find your power. You see, if Jesus took time to be alone with his father in prayer, how much more should we who follow him? Three times in the gospel of Mark, we see Jesus getting away from the disciples and the crowds just so he could pray. 
here in chapter one. We see it later in chapter six before he walks on water and later on in chapter 14 before he suffers in the garden of Gethsemane. Jesus got alone to be with his father, to seek his face. But Kenneth, I'm too busy. I got too much going on. I got kids and work and ball practice. You're too busy to spend time with the one who gives you a beating heart? Do not neglect spending time alone with your father. He loves to hear you pray, to seek his face. And that is where you will find your power. But ultimately, Jesus' purpose was not to heal the sick. It was to rescue sinners from judgment. You see, the disciples, they're looking everywhere for Jesus because verse 37, the people are looking for him. So these four disciples, they're thinking, hey, Jesus, let's strike while the iron's hot. We've got some serious ministry momentum here, Jesus. Let's get back to Capernaum. Let's start healing people and let's make things happen. But Jesus has a bigger vision than just healing people in Capernaum. He wants to go, verse 39, and impact all of Galilee. So what Mark is driving home, verse 39, is what's happening in Capernaum is not a one and done event, but the beginning of a continuous work of casting out demons and healing the sick. You see, Jesus, whose ultimate purpose was not to heal the sick, but to rescue sinners from judgment. Jesus did not come primarily to heal people physically. He came to heal them spiritually. He came to provide salvation for any who trust in him. You see, for Jesus, healing displayed the compassion of God that was ultimately pointing to the gospel of God. The miracles were given to authenticate the gospel message. You see, the gospel points us to Jesus who humbled himself to the point of death, even death on a cross. And before he ascended back up into heaven, he said this in Matthew 28, all authority, in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So question for you, are you submitting all of your life to the authority of Jesus? In fact, that's the impact point, the challenge, the one thing, the task we're calling you to do. Submit to Jesus's authority over all of your life. Is there anything you're saying, no, 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 this is mine? It could be in your marriage. It could be in your finances. It could be your career. This morning, would you posture your heart low before the Lord? And would you submit to his authority and say, Jesus, I surrender all that I have and all that I am to you. You see, what you think about God is the most important thing about you. It dictates not only how you live, but where you're gonna spend eternity. So this morning, let's get low. Let's submit to the authority of Jesus. And it begins by turning from your sin and looking by faith to a blood-stained cross and an empty tomb. Let us pray.